Chapter Ten of Sixteenth Century Bristol by John Latimer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. Queen Elizabeth, in November fifteen eighty seven, appointed six commissioners to inquire into the merits of a singular dispute between the Reverend A. Arthur, Rector of Saint Mary Le Port, and his parishioners the rector on whose petition the commission was granted had been appointed to the living about eight years previously he asserted that the parishioners had for forty years concealed the fact that the rectory was in the gift of the crown and had appointed at their pleasure a mere minister or curate and appropriated the profits of the rectory these profits he claimed for the entire forty years there is no record of the commissioner's decision nor can any evidence be discovered to support the allegation that the advowson was the property of the crown through the sailing of the invincible armada of the spanish king had been postponed in fifteen eighty seven through the daring exploits of drake and other causes its approach in the following year was regarded as certain and the english people universally betook themselves to defensive preparations in march the bristolians were summoned to muster at lady day before their captain-general at redcliffe church to choose out trained soldiers and the large force was soon in arms and regularly drilled the common council ordered another new ancient gigantic banner composed of thirty-seven and three-quarter yards of taffeta and directed the portcullises at the city gates to be looked unto and the town walls to be repaired about the same time the government availing itself of the royal prerogative under which ship money was claimed for maritime towns in case of emergency demanded aid from every port in the shape of ships instead of coin london was required to furnish eight ships fully manned armed and provisioned the call on bristol and also on newcastle was for three ships and a pinnace similarly provided the outlay in these and minor incidences must have been raised by some form of local taxation of the inhabitants but evidence of this point cannot be discovered the city's contingent to the national fleet the great unicorn the minnown the handmaid and the aid provisioned for two months sailed in april amidst enthusiastic farewells to join the navy in the english channel the government did not contribute a sixpence towards the expenditure yet in june when the victuals were exhausted a letter was received from the lord admiral requesting the city to furnish supplies lord howard was in fact unable to extract money from the queen sufficient to victual her own ships the corporation appealed to the privy council representing that the citizens were utterly exhausted by the efforts already made and were unable to bear any further charge but the council insisted that the stores should be furnished without delay promising to defray the outlay at a later date 
the supplies were provided but no repayment was ever received at the great fair all the canvas offered for sale was brought up by order of the government and dispatched to make tents for the vast army assembled at tilbury the week was one of the intense excitement for the conflict was known to have begun and though the queen's players came to town and were rewarded with double the ordinary gift for their performance the inhabitants were thinking of anything but the drama the civic rulers sent off a messenger to the south coast to understand some news of the fleets but the journey seems to have been fruitless at length early in august a letter was received from london bringing certain news of the ignominious flight of the spaniards when thirteen shillings four dimes was paid to the bearer for his promptitude and the city burst into jubilation the queen's players and tumblers adding an extra flash of gaiety to the rejoicings the irritating old analysts do not afford a scrap of information as to the fate of the bristol ships no doubt like nearly every crew in the fleet the men had to take part in the final route of the enemy when destitute of food and almost helpless from want of gunpowder which no entreaties could induce elizabeth to supply whilst the country was threatened with the hostility of philip the second the government was frequently troubled by the anonymity of the dutch who had been much exasperated by the queen's tortuous policy during their long struggle for emancipation from spanish tyranny in february fifteen eighty eight the privy council addressed a letter to the judge of the admiralty court setting forth that upwards of a year previously william colston of bristol merchant an ancestor direct or collateral of the great philanthropist in satisfaction of spoils and wrongs inflicted on him by the admiralty of zealand had seized a ship in cargo of the zealander that the privy council at the request of the dutch deputies had given orders for the release of the vessel on the undertaking of the deputies that justice should be done to colston that the latter after labouring for ten months had secured a judicial condemnation of the zealand authorities and that nevertheless he should obtain no redress the judge was therefore ordered to give directions for the seizure of any zealand ship and cargo found in an english port such ship to be detained for three months to give the dutch government an opportunity of complying with the judgment given against them if they neglected to do so the ship and cargo were to be given up to colston in satisfaction of his claims this order having proved of no effect the council in the following may sent fresh instructions to the admiralty judge giving further particulars of colston's grievances the letter states that the bristol ship was seized near flushing in august fifteen eighty six and confiscated together with the cargo the owner's loss being two thousand two hundred and eighty six pounds and that whilst colston was on his way to seek relief he was made prisoner by a dunkirk rover from whom he was forced to ransom himself his total outlay being six hundred pounds 
the interest on these losses amounted to three hundred and eighty one pounds making his total claim against the states of holland and zealand three thousand two hundred and sixty seven pounds the privy council therefore orders the judge to grant a commission for the arrest of dutch ships until colston obtained full satisfaction being armed with this warrant mr colston thought himself entitled to follow the example set by the dutch and not merely recovered his claim but continued to make further seizures in august however he was peremptorily ordered by the government to sell no more confiscated goods and to appear before the privy council to render accounts there was no further reference on the subject on a death in september fifteen eighty eight of the earl of leicester which ben jonson asserted was caused by a poisoned potion that the earl had prepared for his countess the common council followed its usual course by confirming the high stewardship of the city on lord burghley the head of the government no opportunity was lost of conciliating the powerful minister in fifteen ninety his second son william afterwards earl of salisbury visited bristol and was welcomed with a present of thirty eight pounds of sugar two boxes of marmalade gilded very fair and four barrels of suckets entertainment being also provided for himself and retinue in the following year a gift of an undescribed character but costing eleven pounds ten shillings was made to burghley himself who did not lose sight of his yearly pension of four pounds a sergeant painter at arms was paid three pounds for the lord treasurer's portrait which was framed for five shillings and set up in the council house where it is still to be seen in fifteen ninety six william cecil then become secretary of state was presented with a double gilt silver cup weighing forty four ounces and costing five pounds eight shillings the secretaries of both the ministers were duly and sometimes largely rewarded for keeping their masters in mind of city's request gifts were in fact looked for by every important official in fifteen ninety four a butt of sack was sent to another of the queen's lovers lord keeper hatton doubtless in return for some service the clerk of the privy council and the clerk of the crown also figure for handsome donations in fifteen ninety eight the clerk of the parliament by some means got hold of two new white rugs value five pounds four shillings belonging to the corporation and detained them in regard he had been our friend in the late parliament though sometimes overreached in this way by high-placed cormorants the civic body was by no means disposed to spend money profitlessly on one occasion when the lord admirable according to the custom of his predecessors contested the city's right to hold an admiralty court the chamberlain brought a fine piece of plate for him in the hope that the gift would smooth over difficulties but finding his lordship intractable the civic agent gave the silversmith ten shillings to refine the cast and take the plate back again 
fuel appears to have been at a very moderate price in 1589, the Common Council having in that year established a school over Froome Gate to teach children not to read, but to knit worst hosom. Forty loads of stone coal were purchased for ten shillings to warm the large room. At the same time, six loads of charcoal and a double draught of wood for the tolsey fires cost eight shillings ten dimes. It is difficult to determine the weight of a sledge load, but as butts of wine containing nearly a hundred and twenty gallons were certainly moved about on sledges, a load of coal can hardly have been less than one-third of a tone. Firewood was cheap, owing to the abundance of neighbouring timber. Several trees were cut down in Lewin's Mead in 1589. Information respecting an ancient Bristol custom established by a charter of Edward III, upwards of 200 years before this date, is furnished by the minutes of the Privy Council in March 1590. In a letter to the mayor and his assistants in orphans' causes, the lordships stated that they had been informed that the chief magistrate of the city for the time being had always been governor of orphans and had provided for their education and the preservation of their estates in accordance with the city charters. But the council now understood that this good system was no longer carried out and that orphans had been and were likely to be defrauded by persons having possession of their property who refused to give the mayor full information thereof their lordships therefore having regard for such orphans commanded the mayor and his brethren to pursue strictly the ancient practice to summon all widows and guardians having the custody of orphans money goods or lands and to inquire whether any embezzlement had been attempted of the property committed to them or resisted the mayor's authority over the children they were ordered to be imprisoned until they gave satisfaction it may be safely conjectured that the issue of this mandate had been privately solicited by the corporation through some friend at court at an earlier period large sums bequeathed to children had frequently been brought into the city treasury and remained there for several years until the infant owners attained full age and whilst the corporation in the meanwhile dealt with such funds at their discretion there is no evidence that they rendered a fair interest on the capital the ancient custom consequently fell into disfavour and testators sometimes gave specific directions to their executors to keep aloof from the orphans court the mandate of the government having failed to effect its purpose the corporation while promoting a bill in parliament in 1597 for confirming the establishment of queen elizabeth's hospital obtained the insertion of clauses empowering them to act as the privy council had directed and authorizing the chamberlain to take possession of property when executors or trustees refused to give sureties for the faithful performance of their duties 
It was, however, provided that if a tester limited the management of his estate to a parent, brother, or other relation of his children, or if such relation entered into sufficient bonds for securing the orphan's estates, the mayor and his brethren were not to interfere. The decay of the old system thus continued, and it gradually became obsolete. Dr. Fletcher, the supple divine in whose favour the see of Bristol was separated from that of Gloucester, after being practically extinct for 41 years, made his appearance in the city in July 1590, when he was welcomed by the corporation and presented with 30 gallons of sack and 20 pounds of sugar. From the wording of the Chamberlain's record of this gift, it is clear that the civic body were ignorant of even the name of the new prelate at his arrival. Being the Queen's almoner and Seleucus courtier, the bishop could spare little time for his episcopal duties, but he made another brief visit two years later when the corporation honouring the almoner more than the clerk gave him half a hundred weight of sugar, which cost one shillings one and a half dimes per pound. In 1593 he was promoted to the See of Worcester and the bishopric of Bristol, which he had greatly impoverished, remained vacant for ten years. So far as can be discovered, the corporation up to this time had never availed themselves of St. Mark's Church for religious purposes. The edifice was not, however, wholly deserted. Thomas Pynchon, one of the monks of the old hospital, who were granted a yearly pension of six pounds each when they were dispossessed of it by Henry the Eighth, received two pounds additional from the corporation to act as reader in the church and resided in an adjoining tenant until his death about forty-five years later when a new curate was appointed who also received forty shillings yearly as wages on the establishment of queen elizabeth's hospital the common council seems to have resolved on alterations in the church with a view to accommodating the schoolboys a stone pulpit was introduced several old pews were removed to make way for benches a number of new wainscot pews were constructed and the entire interior was decorated plentifully with whitewash the work went on day and night in order to be ready for the queen's accession day in november fifteen ninety from which one might presume that a civic visit in state was in contemplation but if such had been proposed it was abandoned for when the holiday arrived cushions were carried from the tolsey to the cathedral for the comfort of the worshipful body during the sermon in the following march there is an interesting item in the chamberlain's accounts ten shillings being paid to a mason for removing the great tombs of the three founders of the gaunts which are now set at the upper end of the chancel their original position is unfortunately not recorded through corporate caprice at a later date 
the tombs were removed to the south aisle of the church where they still remain at this period the commerce of the city was in an extremely depressed state the chief foreign trade of bristol for several generations had been with spain and portugal where vast quantities of fish caught by local crews in the northern atlantic were exchanged for the wines fruit and oil of the peninsula this highly profitable traffic had been largely curtailed long before the outbreak of war by english adventurers like drake who burning with indignation at the cruel prosecution of the protestants in the netherlands and at the tortures inflicted by the spanish inquisition on the crews of english ships carrying on an illicit traffic with king philip's colonies in the new world set international law at defiance and took to the seas as systematic buccaneers the eventual declaration of war between the two powers of course suspended legitimate trade altogether maritime relations with southern france the only other important centre of local commerce were on an equally unsatisfactory footing although the two governments were ostensibly on friendly terms the slaughter in fifteen seventy two of upwards of fifty thousand huguenots in france commonly known as the massacre of st bartholomew and hallowed by the exhortation thanksgivings of the pope aroused a passionate thirst for vengeances throughout this country and the bigotry of the infamous french king was met by a bigotry as remorseless as his own happily the many butcheries of romish priests in england have no connection with local history elizabeth's efforts or pretended efforts to suppress flibbering on the ocean were powerless against the convenience of the whole sea-going population of her own customs officers who claimed a share of the piratical spoils of the gentry and merchants of the west of england who had helped to equip the adventurers one or two illustrations of the state into which legitimate commerce was brought under such circumstances may be offered from the state papers in june fifteen ninety two a french official acting for the merchants of bayonne informed the privy council that in the previous year a ship belonging to that port was returning home with a cargo valued at five thousand crowns when she was captured by a vessel belonging to sir walter raleigh and taken up to uphill near western Supermare where certain rich merchants of bristol received the cargo and still held it having forced the owner's agents to take to flight by threats against his life in another case reported by the same official a still more valuable bayonne ship and cargo had been captured by three english vessels and taken into the port of bristol where several of the pirates lived and the plunder was there openly sold the ruined owner being refused redress there is no evidence of any action having been taken against raleigh and his accomplices the other affair was so discreditable to the second city in the kingdom 
that the privy council ordered the owners of the english ships to surrender half the cargo to the bayonne man and to pay him sixty pounds a sum so pitiful as to raise a suspicion that the government sympathized with the freebooters this mandate being coolly ignored the privy council after the lapse of another year addressed a letter to the mayor and aldermen desiring them to see that the frenchmen received satisfaction and pointing out that the further delay would provoke the french to equip privateers to prey on english commerce the answer of the corporation has perished whatever they may have done the warning of the privy council was soon justified in september fifteen ninety six john love and other bristol merchants made a clamorous complaint to the government that a french piratical vessel had seized their ship the adventure was on her home voyage from brest laden with linen canvas etc their total loss being estimated at five thousand pounds by that time the french had remonstrated against several other piratical acts of english rovers one of which was partially owned by our old friend thomas james and the privy council declined to take any action End of chapter ten